This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever wish that you had more time in your day? What would you do with an extra hour all to yourself? Would you go for a run? Take a nap? Read a book? The possibilities are endless. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, deal with overthinking, alter negative behaviors, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartwisdom today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartwisdom. Love, when it meets suffering, changes into a different quality of heart, which is compassion. It's that quivering of the heart. When we feel in ourselves or others, when we feel their struggles and their difficulties, it's the resonance with them and the natural upwelling of, how can I help? Hello, and welcome back to Heart Wisdom, Jack Hornfield's podcast here on Ram Dass's Be Here Now Network. I'm Ganesh Braymiller, once again coming to you from Ram Dass's study. I decided to stay here a little longer, so please excuse my sound. I will be back to my normal setup very soon, but for now, we are going to steep in the Ram Dass Bhav as I share what we have going on this week. This is episode 218 titled Caring for Each Other and the World. And this is from a Cloud Sangha community event, which Jack led December 13th. Cloud Sangha is a online community started by Jack Cornfield and Tara Brock to bring together people with uh, intentions of listening and loving and going down the spiritual path together. It is truly a beautiful community. And if you like what this podcast brings, I'm sure you would love Cloud Sangha. They are now actually offering a two-week free trial. You can check this out in the show notes. There will be links to this offer on both the Be Here Now Network page as well as jackcornfield.com. Also, if you just go, if you're listening on Apple or if you're on YouTube or uh, Spotify, there should be links there as well. If you don't find those... That is cloudsonga.co to tap into this wonderful community. This episode, Jack speaks about the ongoing conflicts of the world and how in a culture of taking sides, he wants to be an island of peace. This actually incited something in me a bit, but once I listened to the episode, I recognized what he was offering people. You can go just about anywhere on the internet and have a million different people taking a million different sides and inciting lots of anger and dualism. And in essence, from that human plane, yes, of course, and they're right. But what Jack learned from his teacher, Ajahn Shah, as he speaks in this episode, was that despite war going on around uh, Ajahn Shah's forest monastery when Jack was there, the monastery was an island of peace. 
And it showed the possibility of what humanity can do when they don't take sides and they choose compassion, understanding, and love. And that does not mean not to stand up for what you think is right in this world and fight for what you think is right. But what Jack is saying is that he, very much like his teacher Ajahn Chah, wants to provide is a safe place for all to come and reflect on love and understanding, which despite what is going on, is actually truly a radical thing to offer. It is many people's roles to fight for what they think is right, but Jack has shared that his role is to stand up for peace and for love and understanding. And that seems to be what he is doing and sharing here. And I am honored to be able to share that style of message in a world that is cracking due to conflict. So as you may think, this episode gets very heartfelt. Tears are shed by Jack. Tears are shed by the people who ask him questions that uh, don't all necessarily have to do with the ongoing conflicts, but, but conflicts within their lives, with their um, children, with struggling with death and regret and what ifs. We are human and this is the human realm and these are the different contemplations that we are given to work with. And I honor the fact that we are all working on these together. So if you would like to talk about these things in your spiritual practice with others of the same intention, cloudsanga.co or the link within the show notes will take you to Cloudsanga where you can connect with community. And there we go. This will be the intro. Thank you for playing along here in Ram Dass's study with me. I hope you have an amazing week. I hope you help others through the authenticity of your own being and can live as a soul in love with whatever's around, even the difficulties like Ram Dass did. Thank you and namaste. Very glad to see you in all the little squares. Um, you know, uh, I wish we'd, we could be together in person in some way, but this is what we have. And it still feels important, sometimes surprisingly so, what can happen. Um, and I know a lot of people have signed up, and I feel a kind of tenderness, even as we start, because these are really hard times. And um, I don't know that I have particular answers. Um, I'll tell you what I've learned or what I've found helpful. Um, but it feels like we're really all in this together. And how do we hold our lives, our communities, the state of the world? Um, how do we care for each other? And how do we bring in compassion as well? Um, let's just take, we are going to do the the, the plan that I have, which is still not exactly clear, um, is that I will do a bit of teaching and also we'll do at least one guided meditation. And that will take about half our time and then half the time will be questions and responses. <clears throat> Let's just take a minute first. The invitation to quiet the mind, take a breath, literally a minute. Let the eyes close and 
let yourself get settled to quiet the mind and tend the heart. Maybe take a couple of long breaths. And as you do, let the body and heart and mind come into the present moment, open, tender. And when you're ready, let your eyes open gently. <clears throat> the first thing <coughs> I want to say is that compassion is built into us. It's absolutely natural. And I remember when my dear friend Ramdas was teaching a class in Oakland, California on compassion and service. And a woman stood up at one point over the weeks that they were gathering together and said, you know, um, every time I walk to the subway to go to work, I pass this one homeless man or this man who doesn't have a house. And um, I put some money in his cup. Um, but in this class, I realized that I never really look at him. We just nod. And so yesterday I was approaching and I felt myself afraid to look in his eyes. And I wondered what that was about. And then she said, and she began to weep as she said it, because I knew if I really looked in his eyes, he'd be sleeping on my living room couch next week. And I think that expresses the kind of naturalness of the heart to care for one another in this deep way. And it's what we want. We don't even know how to do it, especially when there's, you know, widespread violence or structural, you know, injustice and things like that. But it's actually what we want, and it's born into us. We're human beings who are cared, cared for by someone as an infant that kept us alive. Um, it's built in. And um, so I, too, think about how to respond 
um, I've gotten all these, in many cases, very angry posts and things about why aren't you standing up for um, the people of Gaza? Why aren't you standing against this? Why don't you stand for that? And I do want to stand up, but in a different way. When I remember being at my teacher, Ajahn Chalice Forest Monastery, it was on the border of Laos and Cambodia during the wars there, terrible bombings and wars. We could see the war planes flying overhead, visits from soldiers, and the incredible suffering that was not far from us. And at the same time, the monastery was a zone of peace. You could go in there and unlike in a war zone where things would be stolen and taken and people fighting, you could lose your wallet. You could lose your, you know, valuables. Someone would take it and put it on the altar and say, this is here for you. It was a place of integrity and peace. You felt the peace. And Ajahn Shah said, yes, the wars. And he said it with tears in his eyes. The wars come due to causes and conditions and human pain and attachment and fear. And we want to be a different place. We want to show what human beings can be for one another. And so my response to all of the things that were coming in is saying, I want to take a stand for peace. And in my peace work, being in Palestine and Israel and being in Burma and speaking in the monasteries against the mistreatment of the Rohingya or, you know, going out on the streets or, you know, doing it in Cambodia is uh, that I want to respond with a loving heart for everybody, for everybody. And that that's where I take a stand. How to respond. Mm. I think that we are afraid somehow that our own heart is not big enough to hold the tears and the suffering of the world. The Sufis put it this way. They say, overcome any bitterness because you are not up to the magnitude of the pain that was entrusted to you as a human being. This is part of human incarnation, human life. And your heart is part of the heart of the mother of the world, the great force that creates life. And you're each endowed with life and with a certain measure of that cosmic pain and are called upon to meet it in compassion instead of self-pity. So somehow we need to do this. And part of what the practices that I've learned over all these years invite me to do is first to pause, whether it's in the personal realm of someone coming and saying, the way you, Jack, have acted has caused me pain. You know, it's hurt me. It's been difficult or the way that you're living is contributing to the pain of others. First, I just want to pause. And maybe in that pausing to ask, to listen, what's my best intention 
It's one of the most powerful things we can do in struggle and difficulty. What's my heart's best intention? And then to listen with an open heart, which means also listening not just to the news or the story, but listening to the feelings behind them, whether it's the anger or pain or fear or confusion, especially in difficult things. And now we're talking about compassion, so that's what's there. Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas said at the Supreme Court level where I work, 95% of our decisions are based on how we feel about things. The other 5%, we use our minds and the law to justify our decision. And you know it's true in our human lives. It's our heart and our feelings that react and respond and guide us. So to be able to pause and set our best intention and then to listen, including listening to the struggles and the difficulties and the pain. And then to allow ourselves to reach out our hands and mend the places that we can whether it's standing up in some way for justice or peace or care or tending someone else, it's not your job to fix the world or to stop all the wars in Darfur where there's half a million people who've been made homeless recently and killed, you know, or Myanmar where there's indiscriminate bombing of all the refugee camps, you know, or Gaza and Israel and Palestine or onward so many places wow that's a hard thing even to say out loud isn't it what we human beings do but it's not your job to fix all of that that would be hubris it's your job to do your part to stand for what matters to speak and act in a way that represents compassion and love for everyone. To plant seeds, to mend the places that you can. In Buddhist psychology, the qualities of the awakened heart, which include metta or loving kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, gratitude, and so forth, Start with our natural love for one another. And then love, when it meets suffering, changes into a different quality of heart, which is compassion. It's that quivering of the heart when we feel in ourselves or others, when we feel their struggles and their difficulties. It's the resonance with them. And the natural upwelling of, how can I help? How can I make a difference? How do I respond? So you're invited somehow to see the world through the eyes of compassion with all its struggles. And in that, to take a stand, but not to take a stand for one side or another, although you certainly can stand up for justice and care. 
but to take a stand for love. I think of Mahagosananda, who was my dear friend and mentor, nominated for the Nobel Prize so many times. Fifteen years, he led people back into Cambodia from the refugee camps in long lines, and he would be ringing a bell at the front and chanting, remembering that all 19 members of his family had been killed in the Cambodian genocide and his village and temples destroyed. He would be chanting, hatred never ends by hatred, but by love alone is healed. This is the ancient and eternal law. And he said, you have to go back and reclaim your land and your villages and your homes step by step, walking through the killing fields. Because you have to reclaim your heart at the same time. And in all the places that I have done peace work in the modest ways I've been able to do it, one of the things that's most striking is that almost everybody wants peace. Yes, there's another subset of people who are so hurt, you know, and so afraid and so angry. But almost everybody really longs for peace and they don't know how to make it happen. And so it lands back on us to listen and get quiet and feel how much we care and then stand for what matters, but to do so, hatred never ends by hatred, but by love alone is healed. Compassion, the quivering of the heart in the face of the struggles of the world. <clears throat> so I could teach a compassion meditation now um, and I'd like it to be put in the chat. There's several of them on my website, both video and audio. I want to do a different practice, and then we'll have some conversation. The compassion practice begins, by the way, in visualizing someone where it's easy to love, because the principle is to start where it's easy and becoming aware of their struggles as in all human life and their suffering and wishing them well, holding them in your heart. May your struggles be eased. May your heart be at peace. May you hold yourself in compassion. You do it over and over for someone you care about and feel that tenderness. And then you picture another person, another in a situation, and you gradually let the compassion expand. So if you look in the chat, there will be that think to one of those meditations. But since we're asking the question, how do we care for one another in this world? Let us do another practice. And I invite you to settle back and close your eyes. And take again a couple of long breaths. This will be kind of a memory or visualization for some people. It works more easily than others. So let it work in whatever way is helpful to you. Don't use it to, <clears throat> to judge yourself, but as an invitation. And it may be the right meditation. It may not. But try it on. 
And as you close your eyes, let yourself remember or picture or imagine a situation in your life now where there's a struggle, where it's painful or difficult, involving another person or other people in this world. And as you bring it to mind, see yourself in this image. Remember what it feels like to be struggling with this person or this people or this circumstance around. And notice how it feels in your body, honestly, when you're in the middle of it. And notice also what are the states of mind that you find yourself in and the states of heart when you are in this place of struggle or difficulty, conflict, suffering, confusion. What's it feel like? You can remember. And then something magic is about to happen. Whoever you're with and struggling with, that person or people or that circumstance, that difficulty, all of a sudden, wherever you are, there's a knock at the door or someone's coming. And you turn away from the circumstance and people excuse me to go see who's coming. And to your surprise, when you open the door, even if you're outside, you discover a being of immense wisdom and compassion has appeared. It might be the Buddha or Kuan Yin, the goddess of infinite compassion, or Mother Mary or Gandhi, you know, or the Nobel Peace Prize winner, Lehman Gaboi from Liberia, where she says, our nation used to be known for its child soldiers, and now it's known for its women leaders. Some amazing being, and maybe it's your grandmother, a being who carries the great heart of compassion and tremendous wisdom. And you invite them in, And they gaze at you with such kindly eyes and say, having a hard time, (coughs) to which you nod, yes. And then they say, let me help you. And you're, you're the goddess of infinite compassion or the Buddha or Gandhi or Mother Mary say, we'll do something magic. I'm going to come inside you so no one knows that I'm in there. You'll still look like you. But inside you now, 
will be the Buddha, will be Mother Mary, or Gandhi, or Kuan Yin, or the wisest grandmother. And let's try this again. Let me show you how I would handle it. And so they turn back. You turn back to that situation, but it's not you anymore. It's Mother Mary inside. And first you notice, how's her body? How does it feel when she enters this physically? Or he? How is it different from the way you were? And then you notice the state of her heart or his heart, Buddha, Gandhi, Kuan Yin. What state do they bring in? And then how do they listen? Let them show you. You become them. How do you listen? What's their deep intention in listening? And how do they respond differently than you might? Let them teach you. Let them show you. Everyone thinks it's you, but it's actually this amazing being in you. Let the Buddha respond. Let Mother Mary respond. And they show you how to care even in difficulty. And then finally, they turn away from those around you or the situation and turn back toward you and they resume their luminous form. So there you are in front of this being of wisdom and compassion. And they reach under their robe and they bring out a gift for you. A clear symbol of exactly what you need to help you tend the difficulties of your life and the world around you. And they offer you this gift. Hold it up to the light. You can see it. This is the symbol of what your heart most needs. And then they whisper into your ear a few words, last words of advice as they touch you kindly on the shoulder. What is Kuan Yin, Mother Mary, 
the great indigenous grandmothers and grandfathers, what do they have to say to you? They remind you of something. You can hear it. You can imagine it. You can know. And hearing their words to support your caring for each other in the world, you offer them a bow of thanks and they return that. And remembering what they showed you and carrying the beautiful symbol or the gift and hearing their words, carry these blessings back with you and let your eyes open gently. We can do this, you know, as human beings, not in spite of the suffering, but in the middle of it. No one can take the freedom of heart from us. No one can take the eyes of compassion. So I've been speaking for a while and offering a practice, and hopefully it was helpful if it felt like it wasn't the right thing. There's 108,000 other practices, and so just let this one go. But if you've got a message or a gift or a reminder, take it to heart, write it down, remember it. And now let's open up for whatever dialogue or questions, response we have. And thank you for going on this inner journey together, because we all need it so much. Thank you so much, Jack. Our first question is from Lisa, who asks, what is one of your favorite ways of helping people connect with and trust their own hearts and wisdom? Hmm. Thank you. It's a beautiful question. And um, I don't know about helping people. I, I need to help myself. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> I'll, um, first, let me ask you, what, what makes you ask that? I think that um, one of the things that shows up for me is sort of being in the middle of, um, in my workplace, people who are really struggling with the conflict in Israel and Hamas, and I want to empower them and give them sort of, I want to empower them to find their way through it and to have conversations together. And that's also frightening because I feel protective of them. And I also don't want to get it wrong. I think that in that context, that's how. So that's people on who have different views and opinions about it as well. Is that correct? And you want to help solve that? Or at least help them make space for each other. And to understand and to care for each other and to allow those differing viewpoints to exist. So a couple things. First, for me, when I find myself with people and I'm in struggle with them, like how do I help or or even if I get irritated because I'm sort of a speed freak and I go out there, you know, and there's all these errands to get done and things and people are in my way. And I I notice a little irritation. 
one of the practices that I do is to take a breath and see them as five-year-olds. <laughs> it's a really beautiful visualization because all these weird-looking people like myself, people are weird-looking. When I see them as a like a earnest kindergartner, um, <laughs> and that sincerity, my whole heart changes. Oh, yeah, them. You too, I see you. So already I change inside. I'm not trying to fix them. I'm seeing their original innocence or beauty. Hmm. And then there isn't a way to get it right, you know. Sorry, Lisa. <laughs> you can't, and you can't help them very much. But close your eyes just for a second, as you might have in that last visualization. And with these eyes of tenderness, seeing these are all people who were that, who have that, still that child of the spirit inside underneath it all, that original beauty and innocence. And you want to see them that way. And what you see is their caring. They might be angry or upset and so forth. But underneath they are because they care, because it hurts and they don't want it to and they care. And if you can see with those eyes of caring what happens as you look at this. You're sensing the vulnerability there. Yeah. And then you don't have to fix it. You need to see it and love them. And say, yeah, we're all struggling with this pain. How's that feel? That feels roomier and more spacious. Yeah. I think. Yeah. You become what you'd like them to be. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Thank you for your incipient tears. They help all of us. They kind of water everybody's heart as you do it. So that we're grateful. Yeah, thank you. Namaste. Thank you, Jack. Okay, our next question is from David, who asks, how can we not get swallowed up by the collective suffering surround us? And then, yeah, here you go, David, I'll let you. Hi, David. Hi, hi, Jack. Uh, Honor to meet you, really, truly. Glad to meet you. Tell me more. I'm interested. What makes you ask this? and What's it like? Um, so, I mean, probably share. So I work in the human services. I'm a psychotherapist and, uh, I'm also in recovery. So I have some sponsees and, uh, just their suffering. And then with my spiritual practices, getting into just suffering per se, um, I just, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm being swallowed up by it. and. Uh, on the one hand, I want to meet it and I want to open up to it and and love it with loving awareness. Uh, but I also fear that it's, um, uh, just destroying that. I mean, destroying me. I mean, uh, so I will share, I've seen you a number of times speaking and that your emotionality moves me. And I wonder how you are able to move with 
seems to me to be uh, the suffering of yourself, others, the world. Uh, I mean, I know I'm supposed to move through it. I, I know all that. But it's what's just, helped you, David? What's helped you so far? Because as a therapist and in recovery, um, you know, you've learned things, even though you also have to hold a lot. What's helped you so far the most? Uh, getting present. Um, I mean, just being, being with the feelings um, and just trying to stay uh, just aware. I mean, just in the, the immediacy of it, not go here, there. Yes. So this is more the be here now, the actually living in the present rather than all the past and future stories. I I deeply appreciate that. I also want to acknowledge, David, that even the great spiritual figures, or maybe especially, they don't do this all the time. You know, Gandhi took one day a week in silence. Um the Buddha, when there was big struggle in his community, he left. He went to go live in the woods and get quiet. And so the idea that you have to kind of overcome it and stay in it, you have to nurture the best in your heart. Um, so that's one thing that's really important. I mean, you're saying good things, staying present. Um, turn off the damn news. <laughs> you know, you can watch 10 minutes. And you get the picture. And after that, you don't need, because the news wants to frighten us. You know, that's how they get the eyeballs and keep our attention to show us the worst. So pay attention, but then don't do that and take care of yourself in that way. So that's, that's one of the first things. Um, and even the notion that you're supposed to open up and meet it, as I say, the Buddha said, hey, now it's time just to go be quiet. You all are fighting. I'm going to step off. I'm going to. I'm going to step out of the war. I'm going to step out of the battle. I'm going to become that place of peace. So that that becomes really, really important. Um, close your eyes just for a second. And ask yourself in a kind of intuitive way. If you step back and take more quiet time, quiet the mind, tend your body and heart, what would that look like? How could you actually do it so that you restore yourself, you become more peaceful and in a way, like Gandhi one day a week, even though the whole India was in an uproar and people were dying, he said, I'm sorry, this is my quiet day so that I can then come back with a quiet heart. What does that feel like in you? Um, Just so much sadness. Okay, so feel the sadness. Your heart is carrying the grief. And it's the sadness of the world. And it's also your own pain. Being in recovery, you know suffering, right? And being a therapist, you also sit with suffering. Now feel that sadness in your body and your heart and imagine that you can wrap it in compassion. You're not trying to fix it or get rid of it. You're actually the Buddha looking out 
with the eyes of compassion at the world and saying, huh, this is the human realm. And I see it and you breathe and you become the space of compassion and loving awareness that says, yes, let me feel the sadness. And also know that you're the witness to it. You're not just the sadness. Notice what happens. What do you notice? Um, Space. I can breathe. Yes. Yeah. How's that feel? Liberating. Yes. Our world is so speedy and you've chosen to take on the work of being the presence of suffering in recovery or in therapy work. Now it's physician heal thyself, you know, that you also need to take on yourself, David, and really make the space as you just did so beautifully to breathe, to hold the measure of tears that you've been granted with tenderness and compassion and know that it's not the end of the story. That who you are is that space of love. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Thank you so much because you speak for so many of us and appreciation for the deep work that you do. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jack. Blessings. Yeah. Ready for another question, Jack? Sure. Okay. Uh, next, we have Cindy, who asks, how do you deal with letting go of the grief and guilt when you genuinely work to help someone and ultimately it doesn't work? Go ahead and say hello to Jack, Cindy. Hi, Jack. Hi, Cindy. Good to see you again. Yeah, glad to see you also. Yeah. So tell me what makes you ask this. Well, um, I just, so I graduate, I'll, I'll t- I graduated from MMTCP in 2023. I'm in the middle of the MMT program and I'm going to start uh, working with for whatever you call it, Cloud Sangha in 2023. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. And um, what you just shared with David was very, very helpful. Makes me ask, is that a couple of years ago, my husband and I got involved with a young man in Denver who was sporadically homeless and bipolar and difficult and kept couldn't love himself and adorable, engaging, smart, funny. We did all the things that probably you shouldn't do. Give him stuff, buy him clothes. I took him out. I took him out for breakfast, took him for walks. And uh, it just, it hurts. He committed suicide five days ago. Uh, And uh, I'm now attempting to help support his father who was on the phone with him half an hour before trying to talk Alexander out of walking into the ocean in Hawaii. And it just hurts. (laughs) And as I, 
I'm also a coach. And as I work with some of my clients who are in deep emotional distress and just try and hold it together. And my own heart is simply breaking. And I, I don't know how to let go of the, what if I did one thing more or what if I said one thing more and, you know, intellectually, I know I probably couldn't have made a difference, but it just hurts. (laughs) Well, you've said it um, really directly, you know, no, nothing in your mind can fix this. And you think, okay, if only I'd done that. And it's this, and you don't regret the clothes and the stuff you gave him. And you don't regret all the care you had for him. Don't. But, but you can't, you, can't you know what? Yeah. You can't save people. No. They have to save themselves. And if you step back, and I don't mean this as a panacea, but if you look at the karma of someone's whole incarnation in life, he struggled, he suffered. He, you know, the thing with suicide is that um, people are right that about dying. They just confuse and they think that it's their body that has to die. And it's not about their body. It's something else deep. Their, their sorrow, their, you know, the place they find themselves in life. Something does have to die, and it gets mixed out. I wouldn't want to take away your pain. It feels honorable, and it just happened. And your grief, and your guilt, and the stories, and all that, they're being human. And it's... um, I just it's I, terrible. Yeah. I mean it's just painful and it's it's terrible. And um that's also what we live through. And you say, okay, I did what I could and this is what he did. And I I wish I could have I wish it could be other. Um and you start to see it. You let yourself feel all the pain, which you are, and you also step back and see it with a more timeless vision, with the eyes of Kuan Yin, the goddess of compassion, say, yes, this also happens to us as humans, and we do our part to help, but it's not given to us to save people. I I get that, and yet, how do you just, how do you or Tara or any of us who are embarking big or large um, you know, I, I also study with, a, I think, a guy that studied with you, David Chernikoff, um, yes. and he's yes. a wonderful mentor to me. I go on retreats with him occasionally, and um, I just I just doubt my ability to sit with people and hope that I can make a difference and know that perhaps I can and perhaps I can't, and then live with whatever happens. Um. So you talk first about letting go of grief and guilt. And, you know, even as we talk, you know, I think you really understand you can't let go of it. Um, You have to honor it. You have to bow to it. It's a fire, you know, in the heart. And then you have to let him teach you and say, all right, what I've learned from you, let me carry forth 
the best of your spirit. Um, and sometimes you can help, and sometimes you can't, or you can't help in the way you wish. And, and people, but you can be there. You can be there, and that's an enormous thing. People told that's an enormous me. thing for us as human beings that somebody else hears. I mean, I want to flip it for a second. <laughs> you were there. And he felt your presence and your care. How much do you think that meant? You know, even though he struggled in all of my puller and this and that, and all the homeless, you know, and all. thank you for doing that. It mattered and it mattered to him. I hope so. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. With the the bicycle, the clothes, the <laughs> The of breakfast, you would, the you money, would I would do it again. And, and yeah, people yeah. told me he was going to break my heart. And I just said, well, okay. <laughs> yes. So just stop here. Yeah. People tell me it will break my heart. And so your heart is broken open. You feel everything. And he represents all these other people that you'd like to save, some of whom you can help. Most of whom, in fact, you can love. And he felt that. So you chose it. I did. You chose it. I did. Yeah. Yeah. How's that? Well, either I'm really smart or I'm really stupid, but I don't see another path. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just want to bow to you and honor it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, you know. You love anyway. You chose it. And that's your heart. You did. Yeah. And it's it's natural in you. You can't not do it. Yeah. So some people you'll help, and some people won't be the right medicine. Even the Buddha was, one of his many titles was the teacher of those who can be taught. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. One more. Okay, one more. Uh, Our next one is from Jay and kind of similar (laughs) talk about broken heart. Do you have any suggestions about how to communicate with my son who following some conflicts has not spoken to me in over two and a half years? Uh, Jay, I'll let you take it from here and say hello to Jack. Hello, Jack. Thank you. I'm Hi, a Jay. great admirer of yours. And Thank you. My, my teachers. Thank you. Yeah, I'm listening. Where is your son? He's he's in, in the same city as I am physically. Is that what you mean? Or where is he in his head? Or what was your question? No, I just, I meant geographically. So he's nearby. Yes. Yeah. How old is he? He just turned 40. And does he have his 40th birthday on Thanksgiving and didn't respond to my offer to celebrate him and show my love to him? Yes. And does he have a family? Uh, No, he's 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 single Mm -hmm. individual. His his mother is still alive. So Mm -hmm. I believe close to her. I believe he has friends. Mm -hmm. He's a therapist, which is another interesting wrinkle. Yes. Okay. And for whatever reason, and 
some he may say and some you may not even understand. He feels like he can't be in communication with you right now. Yes. Before I say anything more, um, this is one of the hardest things, the kind of estrangement of parents and children. It's really, a, you know, when it happens, something that kind of touches us to the core. So I just want to acknowledge that, how hard it can be. And I've seen it. It's not that it's so rare. We wish it wouldn't be. But there it is in our human families, in our human incarnation, and it happens. It happens for different reasons sometimes because people believe they've been abused or they're afraid of mistreated, sometimes because of their own mental problems, right, or their own trauma outside of it. But it's really hard. Yes. So I do have a little suggestion, and it may be something you've already done, but I think you know, in communication, he may or may not want to communicate with you. That's his side. You can't, obviously, you can't control that. But you can write him. And what you might write him, I mean, I don't think it's even one letter. It might be the letter of, you know, what you want him to know. It might be the letter when you think about if he were to read just one letter from you, what would, what would you say in it? But it might be a series of them. Here's about my life. Here's where I am. Here's how it feels to me. I'm brokenhearted. I don't understand. I wish. I just want you to know. And let yourself be honest and vulnerable. And then he will do what he will with it. It's not manipulative. It's not trying to get him to do that. It's opening a kind of communication where you bear your own heart and you talk about where you are and what matters. And you might do it several times. And then you see it's not given to you to make something happen. But when you become vulnerable and honest and real and caring, Sometimes it changes the field. And this is the hard thing, you know, it, the summary in the Bhagavad Gita of how to live in this world. It says to act beautifully without attachment to the results of your actions. You plant beautiful seeds, you water them, you nourish them, but you're not in control. It's not given to you to determine the outcome. What is his first name? Alex. So I'd like to ask everybody who's on this call, on this Zoom, hundreds of people yes. to picture Alex <laughs> and his dad, Jay, and hold Alex in your heart and Jay in your heart. And you can keep your eyes open and look at the little tiles, Jay, and see everybody's face. 
and let them send you as they can their care and compassion, not just for you, but for Alex and for all the people who are estranged from one another. Thank you. And take it in. Oh, thank you. Yeah, look at these eyes. Uh, there are 33 pages of them, Jack. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Take it in. Oh, Let it carry so you. Yes. So much love. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you can then express. What a beautiful response, Jack. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And now let's go back to the whole room of people. Take a breath, everyone, for half a minute of time. Just a quiet. Let yourself sense as you do how much caring there's been in everyone who spoke. Their stand-ins for you, you know, the ones with the broken hearts, the ones estranged or dealing with a suicide or dealing with the conflict of people around them and the wars. It's us. And we get to meet together here on the playing field of compassion and our genuine humanity. And this is what we need and what the world needs. Doesn't need more AI and computers and nanotechnology and biotechnology. The transformation of the world, its problems stem from the human heart, from fear and racism and tribalism and hatred and greed and the solutions are found only in the human heart to transform our struggles and to hold ourselves as a place of peace of compassion of care and you feel it so strongly in our coming together This is the force that makes the difference. I hope some of you might be interested in joining Cloud Sangha. We have beautiful groups, small groups for people to share in this way. Or to join the teacher training programs Tara Brock and I do and so forth. But mostly just thank you for coming and being part of our community and our time together. Much gratitude and love. Thank you.